Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. So, boom, again on the couch for one more week. But, you know, there are movies opening in cinemas this week. This is going to become more of a, a frequent thing now. It, it seems Ms. Perfect, they, they seem to have a, a desire to uh, populate the cinemas with new films again, two of which we're going to talk about this week. And the first is, uh, this is not one you're going to see advertised on the side of buses. Let's let's just put it that way. This is, this is not one you're going to see, you know, actor who recently starred in a perfume advert is the title this is not one of those um <laughs> this is uh, this is a new animated feature film debut from uh latvian animator and i'm trying to make sure i pronounce i, got his, I think his name is gintz gintz zilbalodi and this is his feature debut he has this very signature style of animation that you will have actually come across through several of his short films and uh, he, he's a, like this 26-year-old Latvian animation wunderkind. This prodigy, he is the next big thing in animation. Quentin Tarantino is already trying to plan out how he's going to rip him off. You know, that kind of level genius. Wow, okay, that's interesting. I'm, make, I'm making that up, but it's just for a, an exaggerated example. It works. Um, so this is uh, basically sort of... A, if you took, you know, Joseph Conrad's, you know, you know infamous, iconic deconstruction of narratives and you actually, actually played it out... Do you know the uh, the monomyth, as it's called, what Star Wars is constructed around? The yeah. hero's journey, as it were. If yeah. you actually literally unfolded that as an animated film, you'd basically have this. It's, it's chaptered up like it's, you know, Dante's Inferno. It's uh, Dante's books, The Inferno, whatever. It's uh, got a very signature style that makes it look... I don't know, on the one hand, kind of rotoscope, but on the other end, kind of uh, intentionally more hipster than the Red Turtle, if you remember the Red Turtle from a couple of years ago. Yes, okay, yeah, hipster, good. Very much so. Now, the thing about this is, this is all about the art side of the animation rather than the actual narrative or the engagement or the suspense or that, because it has not next to none. It's all done with a little bit too much abstract subtlety to really uh, to really land with a multiplex audience. But I will say, if you're an animator, aficionado, which you know, I am. I love nerding out to a bit of animation every now and again. I especially love 1920s animation. Don't know why. But um, if you're an animation nerd, you will want to see this. If you're someone who got really excited about the Red Turtle a couple of years back, to see this, I think this is something you will mention in a similar breath. It's not quite as groundbreaking, but it's gorgeous to drink in. Nice. Okay. How many thumbs up would you give it? I'll give it one thumb up because I appreciate this is not academic for the, the, the sort of audience expectation. I think I'll give it one thumb up because it is gorgeous. Just but you know this is an art show rather yeah. than you know narrative film. I thought you were being ironic when you were saying he's this like wonder kid uh, and stuff. I thought where's where's the clanger? <laughs> where's he going to drop the mic and be like, bah, I'm joking. But actually, <laughs> it's quite nice to hear that you've got good sentiments about it. No, of course. I mean, it's it's not a film that you can look at and in any way think this has been made lazily and without heart. You can't say that at all because you look at this film and think it's not for everyone. But you know, there's obviously there's a, a lot of emotion in it and you know there's a lot of beauty in the imagery and and it's, and it's a completely one man show as well yeah. Like this, this guy has you know done the score. He's animated it. He's rendered it. He's edited it. He's directed it. He's done everything in on this movie. It's, it reminds you of when uh, Gareth Edwards did his own special effects and everything for for monsters like ten years ago. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Well, speaking of lazy filmmaking, <laughs> <that you> <laughs> 
we're going to move on to what <laughs> I am saying that with irony, guys. Don't worry. Uh, probably the most anticipated movie throughout lockdown, uh, which we're about to talk about next, is. Um... I just want to. I just want to say as well that prior to us recording this, Bex did reveal that she has a plot synopsis for this, and I'm very, very grateful to her for bringing that along because if it were left to me, it would never happen. And we're of course talking about Bex. We are talking about Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet, which has hit cinemas this week. Here's the synopsis for you, Van. Don't worry, I've got you covered. It's- <laughs> thank God, thank God. <laughs> it's the story of an unnamed secret agent who embarks on a dangerous, time-bending mission to prevent the start of World War III. There's a Cold War. Technology that can reverse the flow of time. Time travel. No. Inversion. We have been attacked by the future. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Maybe I lost my edge. The edge is still intact. There is a character in this at the beginning who Mm -hmm. basically says to the protagonist, who is played by David John Washington, don't try to understand it. (laughs) (laughs) I know that as well. (laughs) I'm telling you now, that is the through line of Tenet. Don't even bother, ladies and gents. It's a very clever setup because what it's doing is making you go, I'm going to have to watch that again. (laughs) It is true. I mean... I absolutely love that they spent like I think it's like meant to be like three hundred million on this movie, and they still, even with Christopher Nolan on, on on the team, still could not get it past the point of having to literally basil exposition to the camera and say, and I suggest you don't worry about it either. Yeah, exactly. I think to be honest, I was like, I'm trying to get it. My brain's hurting. It's <laughs> it's one of those things that I think. Look. I think that's what you're expecting, right? I think anyone that expects to go and watch a Christopher Nolan movie nowadays will expect a mind bender. That's what. That's what <laughs> of course. Expecting. You don't expect to understand it, um, but you expect to be blown away. And he does bring the goods in the sense that he brings some particularly impressive stunts in there. There's a huge airplane stunt. There's a really good sort of bungee cord sequence in there. You've got time bending bullets and other things that go along with that, which we can't really talk mm-hmm. about spoil the movie um but what what doesn't quite work with this is quite from my perspective and van you know you'll either agree or disagree with me on this there is a linear storyline element and narrative to it which not only is um for me something that i've seen a few times before with other movies so it doesn't excite me because it's it's not new but it's played out in such a way with such the scripting is so low toned that it lacks any empathy or humanity in what they're saying and it's, it's particularly between like conversations with David John Washington and Elizabeth Debicki in it as well there are moments where you're like I was almost struggling to go I'm sorry I didn't quite catch that because it was so quiet and you're like why just speak loudly (laughs) and with some gusto behind you There's, 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 there's a lot of subtle whisper conversations. There's a lot of Christopher Nolan dialogue. There's a lot of, there's a lot of speaking like this, you know, low, 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 fast-paced, you know, without ruining the cadence of it. There's a lot of delivering plot at this kind of speed. We suggest you don't worry about it, but here's what we do. We have physics and we have all this stuff, and this is how you do, do dialogue in a Christopher Nolan movie, but you do it with really, really famous people with really, really cool slip-back hair, and one of them, for some reason, always, always, somehow, for some reason, always manages to be like a physical embodiment of, of Christopher Nolan himself. Always some blonde guy in a suit with slip-back hair. No one can explain it. DiCaprio's done it. Arpats has done it. 
And this is how you talk in a Christopher Nolan movie, anyway. That's basically how dialogue works. He's like the Gilmore Girls writer of science fiction. That's how he works. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, when you are kind of going, you know, that expectation of going, I need to work out what the hell this is. You know, mm. you don't need that dialogue because you're like, have I missed something? Have I not quite caught it? They're speaking so fast and so quietly. I don't really know what's going on. Having said that, the acting is good. You know, we've got David John Wooden is a you know Denzel's son. There were moments where I was like, is that Denzel? Like I could really hear it. Um, he, he he really does look and sound like his dad at times, doesn't he? Does, doesn't he? But also Robert Pattinson does a really good turn in this as well. He's got a slight humour and charm about him. He's kind of like uh, Tom Hardy in Inception in this one. I think he's kind of got that Tom yeah. Hardy cheeky rogue kind of uh, role in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, she's one of my favourites, got sort of new actresses that is kind of really moving towards the A-list here. She's a very solid casting in it. Kenneth Branagh, um, I didn't love so much. I thought his accent was a little over. Really? I loved him. Did you? Oh, I don't know. And uh, yeah, just a tad over the top, maybe just a touch. But, you know. That's it. I mean, I I needed that scenery chewing that you only get with a foaming at the mouth Sir Ken. You know, I I needed that, especially in a Nolan movie. I just needed some scenery chewing because he always gets some good scenery chewing. Just look at any of the Batman cast members. Like, this dude loves some scenery chewing. Yeah, absolutely. But look, overall, it's a solid movie. It's one of those ones that I kind of go, it's got all the the elements that you want to see from a big cinematic release is it something that will make me run to the cinema particularly in this time and age to go and see do i get out of it what i probably wouldn't get out of it at home i'm not 100 percent sure all right so just before we talk about that let's let's rate the film because i mean i think it's a really really good solid sci-fi spy thriller it's just not as good as inception it does feel like a bit of a retread it feels like a a nolan's greatest hits as it were for me at times not to say it's not great but it's just nothing new you know um so but for me i'm still going to give it as a film two thumbs oh i'm gonna give it one and one and three quarters doesn't quite hit it for me on some notes so yeah yeah. but of course that is you know speaking objectively about the film actually going and watching the film is an entirely different conversation now we had two very different experiences for this you went to uh, a press show mm-hmm. at at the bfi and i went to uh, i went to uh, just a branch of cineworld i went to the very first uh, screening at a branch of cineworld in bury st edmunds yeah. and uh, on opening day 10 30 in the morning and uh, you got to see this a few days earlier i think didn't you yes i did i did on the monday yeah um, t- i'd love to hear what your experience was of, of going into an actual cinema because that's what what everyone else will be experiencing mm. well i mean i i literally walked in as, as normal my t- ticket is on my phone he the guy makes me put it on a little tray so that he can then lift the tray and put it under the barcode scanner so he can scan my tickets i've got a mask on the entire time the cinema's like dead because it's 10 30 in a weekday morning uh, i go into the screen i sit in the remotest corner that i have managed to book for myself and uh, i noticed that there are 18 other people on the screen not one of them is wearing a mask at that point um i see a staff member once about maybe 40 minutes before the end of the movie when they come in to do a piracy check with the with the night vision cameras but other than that no no staff members they do not enforce uh, the masks thing i cannot figure out what the hell this is all in aid of right interesting because my screening um was very well attended to in the sense that there were 50 people in the screening and this is in mm-hmm. an eye cinema we were given allocated seats um, in, and everyone wore a mask. And I was like, but we're all journalists. So in that respect, I imagine that everyone is going to to do that because we're journalists and because we're, we, you know, we're cinema mm-hmm. lovers and that's what we've been told to do. 
I couldn't possibly imagine that that would take place in a normal cinema because I walk into no. my lo- I walk into my local post office and people aren't wearing masks. And exactly. unfortunately, in my screening, I, I still moved from my allocated seat because someone was was still allocated behind Positioned me. Positioned out behind. I was in front. Yeah. And so for me, and I, I and given the allocations, and that is all in line with social distancing. Don't get me wrong on that. That is all in line with it. But it's it's down to your own personal risk levels. For me to feel safe in a cinema, I actually don't want to be anywhere near anyone. So I moved out voluntarily, moved myself to the side row where I didn't have anyone probably within five meters of me. Um, and for that reason, I felt better about things. However, capacity wise, there is a lot more than mm. 50 people or 10 people that are going to be allowed into those cinemas. And I think of course. You, you as an audience member who is planning on going to the cinema have to work out what your own personal risk levels are in order to whether or not you'll feel comfortable with that. I agree. I think uh, speaking for the public and going to sort of public screenings, I think I, what I would say is it's going to depend on your uh, choice of preferred chain. I think I know people who've gone to Curzon Cinemas, for instance, uh, who went to see Tenet at Curzon Cinemas and who you know had an absolutely great time and you know were really kind of ha- really overjoyed by the level of uh, specificity in their social distancing guidelines and how they were enforcing things like that. I can't say the same of Cineworld in this case, which is a shame, mm-hmm. but um, I look forward to seeing what the other ones what the light, view, Odeon, etc. have uh, in store for us. But uh, so far, uh, Cineworld, nil poids. Nil poids for that. Nil IMAX, a few poids, <laughs> but still some tweaks to do. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, coming up next, guys, we're going to be talking about all the top films that you've got to watch on your telly box. So stay with us. And we're back on off screen and this time we are safely keeping you on your couch. Do not worry, ladies and gents, we have seven days of top movies on your telly box, all for you. We're kicking off on Saturday night. If you don't want to go out to see a Christopher Nolan movie, you don't have to because we got one you for don't? you. You don't. We've got one for you, which we actually think is a little bit better than the one in the cinema. Uh, And it's called Inception. It's on ITV2 at 8pm. What timing that is for them to pull that. I love love what you say. It's called Inception. Like it's it's this little, this little Amdram called Inception. This little indie flick was the biggest thing ever when this thing opened, wasn't it? No, I know, I know. And I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. I Mm. still don't know if I enjoyed it. (laughs) Although, like you say about the, uh, you say about the time to watch it. I think 8pm, as you say, is the perfect time to watch it because, for one thing, it's not a short film. I think it's a, it's about two and a half hours long. You whack in all the adverts you get on TV as well. I think you're going to be sat there in the, on the sofa for like three and a half hours, maybe. So this is kind of your evening. But it's an evening well spent and it, you know, it obeys all the Nolinian archetypical uh, requirements here you know you've got you've got a michael kane appearance okay. you've got uh, non-linear presentation you've got a heartthrobby actor given blonde hair that's all slicked back while he wears a suit to stand in as a parable for christopher nolan himself you've got cold emotionless relationships between men and women you've got a dead wife you've got these are all the nolanian uh, you know things that you, you require in one of these films oh yes 100 but what we do require is a synopsis now i gave that synopsis for <laughs> 
I'm handing this one over to you. <laughs> oh, God, you stitched me right up because I wasn't prepared. Okay, so it's about Dom Cobb, who's played by Leo DiCaprio, who is, uh, who, this is back when he was you know, never going to win an Oscar for some reason. And uh, he is basically a mind thief. He goes into people's dreams where he extracts secrets from your subconscious with the help of his team, which includes people like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Tom Hardy, um, who gets this sort of like breakout moment, I think, with this film, really. This is where he sort of crosses over into the mainstream proper. Uh, they are hired by Ken Watanabe, who represents this corporation that can clear DiCaprio's name of, a, of, a, of a, the, the uh, false accusation of murdering his wife. And uh, the mission is, instead of stealing something from someone's dreams, implanting an idea instead. And this requires going into multiple levels of someone's subconscious, all of which take the form of another genre that Christopher Nolan would really, really like to make a movie in, if only they would give him all the respective $300 million budgets to do each. And this is what it sounds like when they're planning one of those films for Christopher Nolan. He hasn't got any surgery scheduled, no dental, nothing. Wasn't he supposed to have a knee operation? Nothing. Nothing that I'd put him under for anyway. We need we need at least a good ten hours. Sydney to Los Angeles. One of the longest flights in the world. He makes it every two weeks. He must be flying private then. Not if they were unexpected maintenance with this plane. It would have to be a 747. Why is that? It's on a 747, the pilot's up top, the first class cabin's in the nose, so no one would walk through. But you'd have to buy out the entire cabin and the first class flight attendant. I bought the airline. It seemed neater. See, that's how you know when you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie, and Tenet proves this as well, because only in a Christopher Nolan movie would you have a director with the clout and absolute confidence to say, well, we need to do this somewhere. Screw it, let's just buy a giant honking 747 and use that. Oh, we need to start a small fire? Let's just hire a giant 747 and do that. He has literally become the John Woo of Guardian readers. It is insane. Do you know what? I love it. He's got that attitude of screw it, let's do it. We will have all seen we would have all seen Inception. I was about to say Tenet there. We will have all seen Inception. We would have all had our minds altered and bent and still unsure as to what happens at the end. But do you know what? It's, it's what? It's a simpler movie than you remember it being, actually. You know, when you see it back now, it's amazing actually how much more simplistic it seems in hindsight. I think you're a higher being than the rest of us, I think. <laughs> That's the way you're looking at it. Don't show off, fan. It's not. It's not good for you. Um, <laughs> for us mere mortals, um, if we need to watch it again to try and work out that ending, um, it's on ITV2 at 8 p.m. on Saturday. It's a great way to kickstart your bank holiday weekend. So moving on to Sunday, something that sounds boring but is anything but. On BBC One at 10:30 p.m., we have Ben Affleck playing the ultimate role of the accountant. <laughs> Yeah, what was the what was his shtick in this one? Because he is the accountant. What is he is he is he autistic? Is that what he is as well? He's an yeah. autistic hitman who's also an accountant. Yeah, so he he basically plays this guy called Christian Wolf, right? Which is a cool name anyway. He's a mathematics um, genius, uh, but he loves numbers more than he loves people. So he's very sort of antisocial. He works out of this kind of accountancy office in a small town, and that's his cover. And he makes his living as a freelance accountant for dangerous criminal organisations. He is the FD of the of the of the mob, essentially. What is this place? Pan America Airstream, thirty-four feet seven inches long, eight feet five inches wide. 
dimensions which are perfectly adequate for one person. Preferable, even. This is where you live? No, I don't live here. This is a storage unit. That would be weird. That's what would be weird? I'd like to spend more time here. However, I'm afraid some of my clients might follow me. Why would your clients follow you? You're an accountant. How do you know what to do here? Why are you prepared for this? Plus, this is on wheels, which means I can hook it up and be gone in 12 minutes, usually. Sarcasm? Is that sarcasm? No, that's not sarcasm. I don't use sarcasm. It's irritation. Everything in the world that is important to me is in this trailer. And right now, changing my routine for you is jeopardizing that. This is a classic case of terrible name of the film, terrible marketing, <laughs> but actually a really good film. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with you on that one, yeah. This was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good, and I really wanted to see a follow-up to this, but because nobody went to go and see it, because it's got such a terrible... Oh, what? We apparently are getting we apparently are getting a sequel to the account, because it was made for such low money that the small amount that it did earn did put it in profit. So we are getting the accountant, too, with Gavin Connor directing and, and Ben Affleck coming back, apparently. Then that is music to my ears. So, ladies and gents, you better you better get like up on it in terms of learning learning what this movie is about because it's actually it is really fun like it's kind of a mob style uh a mob style movie with numbers um in a way what's it it's it's a hitman thriller meets rain man at times i guess yeah Yeah, something along those lines great cast ben affleck anna kendrick who you also heard in there jk simmons is in this john lithgow is also the movie as well it's got a great cast it's got a really solid storyline it's got fun twists and turns in it that are uncovered i quite like ben affleck playing rain man in a way i think it works really well for him but it it just it needed to have more praise than it got and it needed to have more viewings at the cinema give it the the, what it's due in on the small screen i think for the record i mean we disagree on one point but i don't think it's altered either of our enjoyment uh, comparatively i think ben affleck is enjoyably terrible as an autistic man because ben affleck's version of playing an autistic man is simply to play bored ben affleck and it's so astonishingly bad that it makes me appreciate and enjoy the movie on a whole other level this is why i want nine sequels to the accountant Nine, just nine. Very specific. Just nine. I'll settle for nine. Okay, all right. We'll see. We'll see if we can open the books without. Ten thirty <laughs> on uh, BBC One on Sunday. It is then for the first. Okay. Now, from from Rain Man, one thing that Rain Man was actually good at was counting hmm. cards, right? That, oh, I see what you did there. You were wondering. Your your face was a bit like, "What is she doing?" Um, so I'm gonna. I'm going to segue over to our next film, which is on Monday night, BBC Two at 10pm. It's not about counting cards, or is it? It's called Molly's Game, and it stars Jessica Chastain. This is an Aaron Sorkin written uh, movie. And did Aaron Sorkin direct it? Yes. I think he directed this one as well, if memory serves. Yeah, it comes. It came out in 2017. Um, it's the story of Molly Bloom, a beautiful uh, young Olympic-class skier who actually ran the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game before being arrested in the middle of the night by 17 FBI agents. You didn't do anything wrong. I threw four people under the bus for $35,000, Charlie. I noticed you kept that out of your speech to the prosecutor. No, don't do that I took advantage of gambling addicts. Donnie Silverman, my brilliant find. He lost Marty, $6 million stop, on my table. Stop. Moved to Florida, uh-huh. got a job as a substitute teacher, then hanged himself. Oh, and that's your fault. That's Donnie not Silverman's your fault. dead. Harlan Eustace is in jail in Nevada wishing he was, but that's not why I'm saying no. You're not saying no. I was named after my great-grandmother. I don't care. Molly. We Dublin will stay Bloom here all night until you name. understand. Until you understand nobody gives a about your good name. I do. Why? Because. Why? 
Because... Tell me why! Because it's all I have left! That's uh, clearly intended to be the Oscar clip there, one assumes. Uh, but I remember this movie uh, being in development, and the thing I remember being really excited when it was announced that Aaron Sorkin was taking it on, because the actual story of Molly Bloom is fascinating. And funnily enough, Ben Affleck was one of the gamers, uh, one of her regular... Uh, Regular game. She had a roster. There's a, a whole scene at the beginning of Ocean's Eleven that seems to be in reference to her, where you got all the celebs turning up to play poker, and you wind up with people like Toe for Grace appearing and things like. Uh, it's Brad Pitt giving the lesson in, in Ocean's Eleven, but in reality, there's uh, there's certain things that have been covered up. You know, have been uh, selectively edited for her book to protect anonymity and uh, stave off legal action and things like that. Um, if you watch the movie, you will genuinely want to know who those people are. I will tell you the one that you'll have the biggest question about i'll just say spider-man and leave it there if you're wondering who that person really was after you watch this brilliant movie who the real actor was i'm just going to say spider-man and leave it there anyway so molly's game is on <laughs> bbc2 10 p.m on monday night i cannot recommend highly enough that you check it out yeah it's a really really good movie so there we go that is your monday night sorted we've sorted out your weekend this bank holiday weekend so listen go and enjoy we'll be back very shortly with the rest of the week's movies. And we're back and we're keeping you on that couch for the rest of the week's glorious Freeview cinematic offerings, which, as of 9pm on Tuesday nights on ITV2, includes, well, it's one hell of a cliffhanger, Bex. It is none other than the cliffhanger, courtesy of Sly Sloan and Rennie Harlan. Remember when this movie was, like, the biggest thing ever? Yeah, I know. And do you remember the Ace Ventura, like, parody of it? (laughs) (laughs) I only remember in 1993, this was Stallone's offering, this went head to head with uh, Last Action Hero, yeah. and this turned out to be the. This was the more financially successful, I think. And then Stallone would come out with uh, Demolition Man later that year and just own the year outright. So that was how the the, the Action Hero Wars went in 1993. But Cliffhanger is where Stallone is a mountain a mountain climbing guide of sorts, isn't he? Is that what he is? The ranger. He's a mountain ranger. Mountain Ranger, and of course he's, he's traumatised because he's lost someone on his watch who's fallen to their deaths in, in the Ace Ventura parody sequence You know that, that basically opens this movie. He is then called into action when, is it a bunch of like uh, terrorists or would-be robbers set up on the mountain in the wake of a mid-air heist that's gone wrong and basically dumped all this treasury money all across the mountain. These robbers yeah. want to utilise and hold hostages in the form of the, the Mountain Ranger's crew to get them to the this money and so we haven't got a clip for it because here's the interesting thing that we might have forgotten about cliffhanger the marketing for it was dialogue free it was done entirely using opera music and stunts that is how cliffhanger was marketed the poster was literally just him on the mountain i love that i love that that element of suspense keeping you on a cliffhanger this is exactly what this movie was all about so brilliant listen guys 1993 it's one of those golden years for movies and do you remember who played the villain in cliffhanger this is the most important part of the whole movie Wait a minute. Uh, no. Who was it? It's John Lithgow, ladies and gentlemen. John Lithgow is the oh. villain in this Stallone movie. That is the reason you see it. Oh, yes. Very much so. Listen, guys, that is it. That is Cliffhanger. Go back to the golden age of movies. Go back <laughs> and enjoying it this time, 1993. It's, it's a fine 
the crystal. It's a really nice time to be watching these movies. So that's your Tuesday night, ITV2, 9 p.m., cliffhanger there. Moving on to Wednesday, we're going Bond, James Bond, once again. But which James Bond is it, Van? It's Tomorrow Never Dies. It's the 1997 instalment uh, that featured Pierce Brosnan in his second uh, turn as Bond. This is the one where they started trying to make Bond actually Pierce Brosnan's. Whereas, you know, they'd sort of designed, they sort of brought back the elements of the original Bond for Goldeneye and they just sort of assigned it to him. This time around, it's okay. Well, now it's 1997. We want him to get a bit cooler. So we'll upgrade the watch, we'll upgrade the car tech, we'll upgrade the gun. Everything is now like late 90s cool. So this is also as well when they brought Moby in to redesign the Bond theme song and it was awful. Oh, yes, that was awful. That was truly awful. But that's what happened when you had a franchise to run in 1997. This is the movie as well in which Bond goes after a very thinly disguised version of Rupert Murdoch, played by Jonathan Price uh, as the media mogul Elliot Carver, who, in a plot lifted directly from The Spy Who Loved Me, which this film more or less serves as a direct remake of, um, basically you have a, a war being manufactured between the Chinese and the Americans. Bond discovers that this media mogul is using his satellites to uh, corrupt the then cutting-edge GPS tracking system. That's how long ago this was. Really, they talk about it like it's a miracle of science. Yeah. It is amazing. <laughs> Oh my god, it is so of its time, isn't it? Hilarious. It is, and Bond has to team up with his Chinese counterpart, played by Michelle Yeoh, to save the day. I believe you once had a relationship with Carver's wife, Paris. That was a long time ago, Em. Before she was married. I didn't realise it was public knowledge. Queen and country, James. Your job is to find out whether Carver or someone in his organisation sent that ship off course and why. Use your relationship with Mrs. Carver, if necessary. I doubt if she'll remember me. Remind her. Then pump her for information. You'll just have to decide how much pumping is needed, James. If only that were true of you and I, Moneypenny. Do you know what? This is, this is one of the Bond movies which I think lacks the A-list bling, mm. in a way. So we've got Michelle Yeoh, but, you know, she's mm. not A-list. We've got Terry Hatcher in this. Again, you know, she was the lowest, but she's she's not really the A-list. Um, she was also the first pregnant Bond girl, would you believe? Because she's actually pregnant during the filming of this, so she was historically the first pregnant Bond girl. Oh, wow, okay. And then, obviously, Jonathan Price there as well. And I thought that was Judy Dench that we were listening to in that clip until she said Moneypenny. It was? I was. Oh, it was? No, no, there was the Judy Dench and Moneypenny in a car with Bond, and I think Tanner as well. Oh, I see. Okay, so there you go. you got a bit of A-list in there with Judy Dench. But do you know what? It's, it's, it's not the most star-struck, uh, mm. but it's got, it was $100 million to make it, I think, or something stupid. And, you know. and it made stupid money back as well. It was huge. Yeah. So there we go, 1997 for you. Um, if you want to re-watch it, it's on Wednesday, ITV4 at 8pm. It's, it's fascinating as well when you look at it now because you know how Bond movies have always reflected the times, what the industry was like at the time in which that film is made. So you look at like Casino Royale and Quantum Solace and they're very influenced by Bourne, for instance, because that's what everyone was trying to rip off at that point. And this goes back to like the 70s when they were doing black exploitation Bonds and then yeah. Bond goes to space and things like that. And you look at uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and it's very interesting that it's trying to capitalise on the then, re the then revival of Prime Time TV in the form of uh, Lois O'Clock 
you know, New yeah. Adventures of Superman, because Terry Hatcher was the biggest thing on there. Yeah. And the other side is, let's try and take on some of the Asian cinema that's becoming more and more popular in the sort of early years of the internet, like Jackie Chan on the rise and things like that. So it is interesting to see those two things fused up in a Bond movie. Yeah, it's good. It's Bond with a conscience. <laughs> Hmm, a social conscience, as it were. Early internet paranoia. There we go. Right, let's move swiftly on to Thursday. 47 metres down. Uh, I haven't seen this, but Van has and assures me that it's a great film with um, Mandy Moore in it. And it's on Film 4 at 10.50pm. Right, I'm going to be really honest. Like, when, when this movie was sold to me, it was literally sold to me on the concept of Mandy Moore's in a swimsuit in a cage surrounded by sharks for, like, an hour and a half. And my immediate response to that was just shut up and take my money. Um, you know, so this is this is also weird off because I interviewed the director of this I think like a year before for a horror movie starring uh, Lady from Walking Dead whom I like very much I can't remember her name now but uh, Johannes Roberts uh, directed The Other Side of the Door as well and this is uh, the story of two American teenagers who are on holiday and I think it's Mexico or something like that they do the shark cage diving experience only for it all to go wrong the cage snaps free and just plummets to the bottom of the ocean and is now surrounded by sharks as the boat has seemingly left them. Come on. I just don't feel safe in this cage. At least we got to see some sharks. I mean, I guess so. It's just so cool. I can stay down here forever. Hey, Taylor, once Lisa's out, can I go back down again? long this movie uh-huh so you've told us what happens in it are we just uh-huh are we just watching two teenagers wrestling sharks for an hour and a half but i mean would that be the worst concept for a movie you've spent an hour and a half watching ryan reynolds in a box once at some point in your career you've you've seen infinitely goofier ideas you've seen sandra bullock float through space for an hour and a half we've seen weirder concepts done yeah but i'm not interested in this <laughs> <laughs> this is this is actually really good this is not not only that this is actually decently a cult hit as well because it wound up getting a sequel which by all accounts is actually not bad I've not seen it but it does saw Sistine Stallone easily the most glorious of these Stallone daughters and uh, don't ask me how I know that let's just say my Instagram follow history is very very weird anyway for weird and scattershot and random you can't just open the book of my life halfway through and jump in but 47 meters down uncaged I will get to watch at some point that's what's important um, do you know what just see if you want to chuckle some kind of decent like the shallows underwater it's a good time uh, you you can see it, it's 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 10:50 on film 4 on Thursday night which means that'll probably be done about mm, 20 past midnight that night so decent one to fall asleep to i think yeah yeah fall asleep maybe just after the credits um right so moving <laughs> <laughs> oh down girl wow no sorry just doesn't really float my shark cage um so <laughs> doesn't, doesn't float your shark cage <laughs> I mean, what I really love is that you could have literally said float your boat and the pun would have worked equally well. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be cool, Van. Just trying to be cool and filmy, yeah? Yeah, cool, cool. Fine, fine. Move on, move on, move on. Right, okay. Speaking of being cool, uh, there's nothing cooler than being super bad. Uh, so, oh, super bad. 
Oh, super bad. Uh, what what more can we say about this movie? The iconic movie that is on the day on the channel Dave at nine pm. God, I didn't even know Dave Channel existed still. Uh, it does. Dave does periodically show movies. Sometimes they do show like comedy classics, but they do tend to be things like Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Fine. Dave, nine pm. Your Friday night sorted. If you haven't watched this in a while, it's two high school boys who just want to enjoy their lives to the fullest before they go to different colleges. However, they land themselves in a bit of trouble. Yo, guys. What's up? Fucker, where have you been, man? You almost gave me a goddamn heart attack. Let me see it. You f***ing out or what? No, no, man. I got it. It's flawless. Check it. Hawaii. Uh-huh. All right, that's, that's good. It's hard to trace, I guess. Wait, you, you changed your name to McLovin? <laughs> McLovin? What kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What, are you trying to be an Irish R&B singer? Oh, they let you pick any name you want when you get down there. And you landed on McLovin. Yeah, it was between that and Muhammad. Why the f*** would it be between that or Muhammad? Why don't you just pick a common name like a normal person? Muhammad is the most commonly used name on earth. Fogel, have you ever actually met anyone named Muhammad? Have you actually ever met anyone named McLovin? I love this movie so much, and I haven't seen it in so long. And, I mean, I think because I've seen uh, Booksmart so many times in the last couple yeah. of years, it's kind of rendered the need to see Superbad again kind of inert. But I would like to see Superbad once more. I think the subplot, uh, you've got the two boys played by Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, who are very obviously sort of thinly guised parallel, uh, sort of uh, thinly disguised sort of avatars for Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I mean, they're even called Seth and Evan. And then you've got uh, the B-plot, which is the uh, they're going to get booze. And in the B-plot, you've got... Uh, Bill Hader, whom I adore, as you know, Seth Rogen, who's the king of cool, and McLovin on their uh, cop ride-along adventure, which I think is even better than the primary storyline. I can't wait to see Superbad again, so 9pm on Friday night on Dave. You know what, you're right, that is my Friday night sort of bex. That is what I'm going to do next week. That is good, and that is good to hear, and I hope that sorts all of your Friday nights as well. So, if you haven't found what you're looking for on movies on TV, then don't worry. We're coming right back at you with more things to watch, and this time on stream. Welcome back to Off Screen. Now, to finish off this week's podcast, we have a big fat roster of streaming movies for you. So, we're going to run down in post haste and do it as quickly as we possibly can. So, we're going to kick off with How to Be Single. Van, do you know about this? I mean, I'm clearly very terrible at being single. So, you know, in the meanwhile, I mean, I'm certainly not a patch on the likes of Alison Brie, Rebel Wilson, Dakota Johnson, or who was the fourth one who starred in How to Be Single? Oh my God, that's going to bug the hell out of me. Um, I do remember that this uh, this was a pretty decent rom com. Yeah. That the was. whole I remember uh, it had it was basically a rom com about four friends, and each one had their own rom com plot, as it were. Who's what? Sorry. Leslie Mann is the fourth person. That was it. Leslie Mann was. Wasn't Leslie Mann's whole thing that she was going to go out with a younger dude? That was her yeah. storyline. Was she yeah. had to adjust to date the younger dude? Alison Brie's one uh, was that she uh, was a data-driven person and was only interested in like online dating and basically engineering the perfect algorithm to find it. Do you know what? I tell you what. I, I, she, she actually explains it better than I do. You're a pretty girl. This is New York City. There's like a billion people outside that door. Yeah, but how many eligible people? Here. Okay, there are eight million people in this city. Sounds like a lot, right? Half of them are women. And as hard as I tried in college, I don't swing that way. So, four million men. And then you gotta have some age limits. Let's say over 20, keep it legal. under 40. Keep it sexy. Now it's a million. Right. We're talking about a million guys. But half of them are married. 10% are gay. I want someone college educated, not too ugly. 
So? There's your boyfriend. I wish. He's gotta be taller than me. And he's gotta want kids. So yeah, I'm on 10 different dating websites to increase my odds. That, her, her list is almost as long as our list for this segment of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, isn't it? Yeah. So How To Be Single. It is a really decent rom-com. It's, it's good fun, easy watch. It's on Amazon Prime, as is our next movie. Uh, this is all available from Monday. Um, and next movie we've spoken about many a times. Uh, I think last we spoke week, about last week on Freeview, didn't we? Yeah. yeah last week, if, if, I, you know, if I was on the dating scene and a guy hadn't seen the note for her, seriously consider whether or not to have a second date um it's that's a deal breaker right there oh yeah so oh the notebook is on amazon prime as well monday the 31st ryan gosling and rachel mcadams the ultimate weepy the ultimate one that you ladies know that every man should watch too i you know i, I speak on behalf of my gender i i agree wholeheartedly i think we all should have watched the notebook by now yeah. um so moving on then the following day so on tuesday the first it's all about Netflix, though. I mean, Prime's got the Monday, Netflix has got the Tuesday, and Netflix, they're, they're coming back hard. They're hitting back hard with just this this roster of just... It's a, it's a mixed bag of amazing movies and just enjoyable schlock. Yeah. So, first and foremost, the acclaimed and wonderful A Beautiful Mind, starring Russell Crowe, uh, directed by Ron Howard, and uh, this was this was quite, a, 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 you know, a, a very critic, buzzy, acclaimed sort of conspiracy thriller, wasn't it, back in in 2000, I want to say 2001, 2002. Yeah, maybe around that time. It's one of my favourite films. Um, Is it? Yeah, I absolutely love this film and I love um, everything that Russell Crowe does in it and well-deserved in terms of his um, his Oscar as well. Uh, Jennifer, John Nash? John Nash that he plays? Nash, yeah. And his wife, you know, played by Jennifer Connelly in this. It's just heartbreaking. Um, but also like that that intelligence um, it is 2001 mm. I've checked for you that intelligence that goes behind being this mathematical genius his his for Russell Crowe his performance is just so soft and, and beautiful within it mm. that you surprising really you're yeah, very surprising for him. Paul Bettany is brilliant in it as well. You know, there's there's so many great things about this, but it really is Russell Crowe's movie, and that is exactly why he picked up, you know, the best actor for this. It's it's so brilliant. I will say two things about this. First, as far as I know, this is where Paul Bettany met uh, Jennifer Connelly. Because yeah. you know, I think they're they're still married, aren't they? I think still yeah. to this day. Um, the other thing is, and this is my favourite thing about A Beautiful Mind, is because Akiva Goldsman won a writing Oscar for this movie. It was upon that day in early two thousand two that I finally got to got to declare. That's it. Guy that wrote Batman and Robin finally won an Oscar. <laughs> uh, anyway, you can follow that up with a film of equal intellectual caliber. <laughs> A highbrow delight, caliber. A highbrow delight. Actually, really great horror reboot. Curse of Chucky is on Netflix the same day as well. This is where they actually rebooted Child's Play as a horror film, as a straight up scary ass horror film, and it's wonderful. How many Child's Play movies movies are there? Like, I think it's now seven plus the remake. Is it? I thought it was like twenty. <laughs> No, it's seven plus seven plus the remake, but those seven are going to be continued on in a TV show that uh, starts in the next few months. And how does this? How does the Curse of Chucky rank out of those seven? Do you think? 
I actually think, as a straight horror movie, this is the best of the entire saga because there was really only otherwise the first movie that had been intended to be a horror film, and I don't think the first is anywhere near as good as Curse of Chucky, which stars uh, Brad DeRiff, Chucky actor Brad DeRiff's real-life daughter Fiona DeRiff, as the lead, and that casting is there for what's meant to be a twist, but is kind of, like, glaringly worn on the film's sleeve the entire time. But it's worth watching. It's really good, schlocky fun, as indeed is one of my favourite actions, which is on Netflix on the same day. We have briefly talked about this. I know you've seen this movie, Bex. It's demolition, man. Who hasn't? Who hasn't seen this movie? I mean, it's 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 the classic. It's it's the year of Stallone, as we mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've watched this. I'm pretty sure I probably watched this with my dad. Um, this is Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes. Um, you know, he plays John Spartan, Wesley Snipes, Simon Phoenix, a convicted killer. He's been frozen since the mid 90s and then he gets revived, um, you know, for, for his parole. But he becomes like unstoppable with this killing spree. So, you know, for me, this is this is the ultimate kind of action movie of the 90s. It's 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 out there, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, because you've got the, the already great idea of let's take a 90s killer and freeze them into a sort of, you know, neutered, watered down, politically correct society. That on its own is a brilliant idea for a movie. To then have Stallone be a cop, falsely imprisoned because of said killer, unfrozen to stop him, even better, and fills this movie with delightful comedy, even making me a fan of the Armour Hot Dog theme song, as exemplified here. Here's that classic you've all been waiting for, the number one request of the day, Armour Hot Dog. Kids eat Armour Hot Dog. Oh, wow, this is my fave. kids who climb on rocks. Even kids with chicken pox love hot dogs. Armor hot dogs. The dogs kids love to fight. Somebody put me back in the fridge. I adore this movie so much that it even entertains me even more that Sandra Bullock's sidekick in this movie is played by Benjamin Bratt, who then becomes her romantic lead in Miss Congeniality something like eight years later. It fills my heart with joy. Oh, it is so brilliant. So guys, look, Netflix upping its game with that number there. Uh, Moving on, we've got uh, another movie. I've not seen this one. Dinner for Schmucks, uh, Van. What's this one all about? This was a Paul Rudd comedy that made decent enough money, but it went by largely unacknowledged in, I think, 2009 he's a guy who wants to impress his boss at work discovers that his boss is a member of a society that holds a monthly dinner for schmucks where each attendee must bring along the weirdest most random idiotic person they could find and Paul Rudd takes Steve Carell a sort of hapless loser he encounters along the way along for the ride um, it's got a couple of decent cameos in it there's a couple of decent laughs it's not an amazing movie on the whole but it's one that you will watch have five or six good chuckles out and think ah that was alright um, one that I know you will have seen on the same day as well is the movie that gave us all Mark Wahlberg the actor and this is of course the 1996 uh, you know psycho thriller Fear, starring a young Reese Witherspoon as the girl who uh, brings home her first boyfriend to Daddy, only for Daddy to quickly discover, oh, oh, he's a psychopath. Um, great movie. Has Alyssa Milano in there as Reese Witherspoon's best friend. Daddy is played by Bill Peterson from uh, CSI. So Gil Grissom from uh, CSI and Manhunter, which we were talking about last week as well. Um, and Wahlberg, as the psycho, is just with him pounding his chest to bruise himself. Is one of those uh, great iconic iconic images of uh, mid-90s MTV Americana. I like that you think I've seen this film. I haven't. How have you not seen Fear? You. 
I'm just looking at it now and I'm going, this is a film I should have seen. It's it's right up my you, street. You would have. You, well, you, I'm absolutely shocked that you didn't. Yeah, it's a good job it's out on Netflix. It's on my list. That's well, now you can see it. There you go. Yeah. And uh, what else have we got the same day? G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra is out the same day, which is literally a Saturday morning cartoon brought to life. It is idiotic. It is stupid. It stars Chan Channing Tate, yum. Exactly. You go, girlfriend. Um, and then, so there we go, there's that one. And then rounding off the week, we have Zodiac, great film, a 2007 movie. Really enjoyed this. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., Chloe uh, Savigny. Can never pronounce that. Um, is it, it's, is it so someone, someone likes to pronounce it Savigny, don't they? Like, it's posh people like you, Savigny. I always say Savigny. I sound really cockney when I do it. I, I, I just say Savini normally. She's just Savini to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's about it plays on the true story of the Zodiac killer who uses puzzle solving abilities to. Well, actually, it's the um, it's a, car, a cartoonist was it by profession? Yes, yes, it was about a cartoonist indeed. Yeah, and but, he's uh, about the Zodiac killer, doesn't he? So he uses puzzle solving to kind of reveal who the Zodiac killer is. Even though I don't think in real life. We ever found out who the Zodiac killer was? Well, we didn't until his son ran for president four years ago, uh, and then he was outed. But uh, other than that, no, we never found out who the Zodiac killer was. But uh, I'm, I'm sure Ted Cruz has some answers. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that rounds off your Netflix offerings for uh, Tuesday, the 1st of September. Uh, two very jam-packed days on streaming this week. And I think that's a, that's a good haul for this week, Ben Bexley. Really good haul. So, yeah, I will particularly be um, looking through all of those comment and video on demand streaming options so um netflix amazon prime you've brought it you're going to keep us back on the couch who needs to go to the cinema you should if you if you feel comfortable though <laughs> um, that's it isn't it don't don't feel pressured and nothing the film's good it's not worth risking your life over you know no film is unless it's snowpiercer but no even then even i even i draw a line somewhere yeah, we've been, we've seen, we've not quite conquered and we're not quite sure if we're going to go back anytime soon. But for now, there's plenty else on offer. So guys, this has been Off Screen. It's been an absolute delight as it is every week. We'll be back again next week. I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and we shall return. 